Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. to Critical Witness, uh, where myself, Phil, and a good friend of mine, Dan, will be talking about theology, philosophy, ethics, you name it, books. Uh, we, we like books, and uh, we're going to talk about Christianity as well. We've also got with us Jeremy Marshall, who has written a book and has uh, also likes books, apparently. We've just found this out. So we might f- find ourselves talking quite a lot about books uh, this evening, feel free to join in. We, uh, because Jeremy's book is related to uh, suffering and God and Christianity, that's probably where some of this conversation is going to go. But join in if you're watching and uh, ask questions on the live chat. I'm going to let Dan introduce himself while I test the sound is working, and then we'll get Jeremy on as well. So, Dan, say hello and um, yeah, what. Well, What's the idea behind this channel, and why you want to be part of it? Yeah, ahoy. Uh, yeah, so I'm Daniel Roger. I'm a um, sort of academic healthcare professional uh, and bibliophile. So I love to read books. So it was nice chatting to Jeremy before we went live about our uh, our obsession with books. So uh, yeah, I mean, the hope really for this channel is it gives us uh, it gives me an opportunity uh, to to catch up with Phil a little bit more. So we don't live uh, so close anymore and also just to chat with interesting people and explore interesting questions i'm a real and uh, i do devour podcasts a lot and so um i do get jealous listening to uh, certain podcast hosts to chat again to chat with people i'd love to uh, to have a natter with so hopefully it just this gives me an opportunity to to have those kinds of conversations with people people like jeremy so I'm just getting myself set up as well because I'm slightly off screen for the YouTube, which is great. So I'm just going to move my camera the right direction. There we, oh, there we go. Right. Um, so, Jeremy, how about we get you on then? And uh, we're going to introduce Jeremy to the to the right screen. I'm not used to interviewing three people on here. So, Jeremy, over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your story? Um what do you do for a living? What's, and then we'll, we'll start looking into what your book's about in a bit. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Bill. So I was, um, I was born in Hertfordshire, I live in Kent now, married to Jeanette, three adult children. I worked in banking, I'm afraid, for <laughs> five years. And I worked for 20 years for Credit Suisse, different parts of the world. And then uh, about 12 years ago, I became chief executive of a family-owned private bank called Seahor & Co, which is one of the oldest in the world, still owned by the same family. Uh, I'm not working anymore. We'll come on to why that is in a minute. Um, I'm involved in quite a lot of charities. I chair um, quite a few different charities, Christian uh, mainly, although I have, I've been entrusted the Woodland Trust, for example, so I'm quite interested in the environment. And um, I also, with a group of friends, we just bought a bank, as you do, called oh. Kingdom, which is a Christian bank. 
based near Nottingham. And uh, yeah, that's me. I'm just I'm turning 57 on Friday, so I'm far I'm probably for Friday. Yeah. I'm probably older than the two of you combined. Ah. <laughs> oh, it's close. <laughs> you you might just have you pipped. Yeah. Um, so you've written a a book called uh, Beyond the Big Sea. Yes. And that was released last year. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Do you want me to tell you? Should I tell you about yeah. it? Yeah. What's to give us a synopsis, a rundown? Because it's quite linked into your personal story, isn't it? It is, yeah. It, here's, here's the book, Beyond the Big Sea. And uh, the Big Sea is cancer, because uh, seven years ago, I found a tiny uh, lump on my ribs. And um, I went to eventually got referred, referred, went to the Royal Marsden, which only does one thing, cancer. And they said, yeah, you've got this rare type of cancer called a sarcoma. And um, I went through treatment for about six months. And then everything seemed normal, seemed to go back to normal for about two years. And then almost exactly five years ago, just after David Cameron won the election, seems a long time ago now. Yeah. I um I was at a friend's house here in Seven Oaks, and um, I felt a, uh, I went to adjust my collar here, and I felt a massive lump on my collarbone, like a golf ball. And within a few seconds, my life changed because I knew immediately what it was. It was cancer. I went back to the um to the Marsden. They checked me out, did a few tests, and then a few days later they. I went back in and they told me, look, basically you've had it. You've got tumors everywhere. We're not quite sure how you missed. We missed those in the screening. I think eventually we found out it was a completely different type of cancer. It's non-pulmonary or extra-pulmonary small cell lung cancer. And, um, yeah, we can't cure you. And obviously the question you ask is, um, well, how long do you think I've got? And the answer was, well, 18 months. Now, like all these things in cancer, it's kind of a guess, right? But, um, yeah, what's... What's it like having cancer? It's hard. It's hard. I've had 24 chemos. I've had a dozen operations. I've had big problems with my eyes. I was blind for a while. I lost the sight in both eyes, one after the other, although I've got one back. And, um, yeah, it's really hard. And the hardest thing is the impact it has on your family. Thank God I'm not in chemotherapy now, um, although I am being shielded. I just got my letter the other day, about six weeks late. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. yeah. Shield, yeah. <laughs> Goodness. So, uh, yeah. I mean, how much of an impact has um, Corona had on on that? Then I'm guessing you haven't gone out much, uh, being one of the ones that shielded. Well, what I say, uh, Philip, is welcome to my world, because in the last five years, every time somebody coughed and sneezed near me when I was in chemo, <coughs> I was very worried because I had no immune system. I was afraid. And now everybody's afraid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Previously, it was just me living with a sort of sword of Damocles over my head. And now everybody has that. So I feel yeah. God has somehow used this experience, which has been really tough, to maybe enable me to help other people now. And in fact, since lockdown began, and I, I was doing it in person before, but especially since lockdown began, about pretty much every night of the week, I've been doing something like this. I've done things with churches, with businesses, with students, um, groups of friends. Anybody really just wants to chat about cancer. And yeah, the subtitle of my book says Hope in the Face of Death. What, what a good what a good title. And um, so I, I'm, I'm just really interested in um, I'm, the difference this has made to 
your walk and um, maybe even your evangelism to others, how you talk about Jesus, how you talk about God, how you talk about suffering. I'm personally interested in what that looks like from before this happened and, and maybe the shift while you're in it. Dan yeah. might have other questions, um, but may, maybe we can start with, with that. What was, if someone was talking to you about God and suffering before this, what kind of answers would you have? Yeah. Um, I was a Christian before this happened, but I think this, you know, and, and this doesn't always happen with suffering, but in my case, yeah, it's brought me a lot a lot closer to God, especially I would say the antidote to fear is the fear of God. And a, a story I love to retell is Jesus in the storm where the disciples are terrified because they think they're going to drown. And uh, eventually they roughly shake Jesus awake and says, don't you care we're going to drown? So how do we feel in the storms of life? We doubt God's character or maybe for some people watching, we even doubt God's existence. Then Jesus gets up, he rebukes the storm, and he also rebukes the disciples and says, why have you got such little faith? And then it says something curious, which is, it says then they were terrified. So in a mill pond of Lake Galilee, with not one breath of wind, not one even tiny wave, they're more afraid than in the storm. Why? Because it, began, it begins to dawn on them who, who this ordinary-looking rabbi asleep in the boat is, that he can still a storm. He can rearrange billions of molecules and only God can do that. So, yeah, that's been my experience that this has enabled me to know God more and know more what Jesus Christ is like. And that was the experience of the disciples. If they'd sailed you know, across the lake you know, like a picnic, that they wouldn't have known more about Christ. And that's what we that's what we need. That's what I need in suffering. On, on the second question, I think before all this happened and. You know, I was very fortunate, really, Philip. I had a kind of, yeah, been married 33 years, three lovely children. I never really had a day, you know, ill in my life. Um, I'd have probably given a more philosophical or theological answer. Now, um, yeah, we can come on to sharing our faith in a minute. But now I would say, I, I, what I say is this. I say only a suffering God can help us, which is a quote from the man we were talking about before we started, Dietrich Bonhoeffer just before he was abused, he smuggled out of his jail cell a little piece of paper saying only a suffering God can help us. So I think ultimately God's answer is not philosophy or theology, although those can be helpful, but a person, suffering person, the suffering servant. And that means that Jesus has been through everything that we've been through, but much worse. And um, yeah, I find, I find that amazing. And maybe just answer your your last question yeah it definitely if, if you want to become an effective evangelist yeah get cancer that's my recipe <laughs> and, uh, yeah what it, it gives me is an is an urgency because time yeah. is short and uh, jesus said we must work while it's day because the night comes when no one can work and the night is death right yeah. so death also um, i'm afraid applies to the christian as well so when we get to heaven and be with the lord it'll be great but it'll be too late to evangelize because no non-christians there's no people who haven't heard about Jesus in heaven. So now is the gospel hour, and I feel this urgency. Um, I've also, I think, tried to change maybe the way I, I share my faith. I don't know. I'm, I'm interviewing myself here. Sorry. <laughs> shall I, shall no, I keep no, 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 it's really, it's really good. I'm, right. I'm enjoying listening, and that, that's right. absolutely do, fine. Do so. jump in. So yeah. I found really amazing, which, um, you know, maybe some of the people watching have seen it, is this, the word one-to-one. 
it's simply John's gospel with notes and um, it's ever so simple. You can probably see it there on the screen. Uh, the word one-to-one. -one. You can look at the mm. website. And um, lots of my friends who are not Christians are kind of intrigued about cancer and how I feel and stuff. And I, I don't mind talking about it. Some people don't like talking about it for whatever reason I, I do. And yeah, I, when I'm chatting to them, I usually ask them three questions. I say, well, how about you? Do you have any particular beliefs? They know I'm a Christian. Did you ever look at the Bible? Most people know. Most people know nothing about the Bible at all. And then, uh, well, would you like to have a chat with me about it? And quite a few people say yes. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty easy and straightforward. So I really encourage every Christian to have a go. Just ask, yeah, ask, ask a friend, would you like to have a chat with me about the Bible? And it's really what we're about, what we should be about, is answering people's questions. So typically, I, I, in the first place, I just sit down and go through the first 18 verses of John, which takes about 20 minutes. And as we go along, I just invite my friend, what would you like to know? And there's only two types of questions, Philip. Question one, you know the answer. You tell them. Question two, you say, I don't know the answer. Let me go and ask my pastor or a friend or something. That's okay. Because it's not about us. It's not about me, Jeremy. It's not about you. It's about mm. supernatural words from God. So that's what we're trying to share with people. And um, yeah, I found it so easy and accessible. And uh, I love doing it. But I also do quite a lot of um, you know Zoom calls and events mm. and stuff. But I spoke at, I spoke at half time on a Premier League football pitch. That was good fun. Amazing. <laughs> I think I saw you shared shared that on uh, either one of the groups or one of the yeah one of the social media things that we're connected through. Um, I, I I think that's that's amazing. I. Dan, what, what have you got? Have you got anything to to say on that? How yeah, I mean, I was going to ask something similar about how um, how it changed your uh, your thinking about suffering, uh, but Phil already asked that. So I was going to sort of next question was going to be around how 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 do you think the gospel sort of offers hope to people who aren't believers? I think we don't give any sort of uh, you know, validity yeah. to, the, to the to the gospel. What what hope does it offer them? Because it's not a it's not a hope that's um, hope of a life free from suffering. You know, yeah. that's 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 what people get to do. They think you know, and some people sell the gospel. Like that, you know, believe the gospel to have a you know a, a, you know a, a better a better life, a life free free from suffering and things like that. But you know, we can all agree that's not. No, that's not the Christian offer. And in fact, um, you know, the, the, in one of the Psalms, the psalmist says, when, when you go through fiery trials, or maybe that's Isaiah, actually, yeah, when you go through the deep waters, Isaiah. Mm. So it's not if you go, it's when you go. So we will, if we're a Christian, we will go through suffering. In fact, I would say on average, you're more likely to suffer as a Christian than not. So there are people out there who kind of give a bogus so-called prosperity gospel which is you know believe in god and then you'll you'll get a ferrari that's that's a lie that's, that's a devilish lie no the, the christian faith is hopeful in that it offers a meaning and it offers an uh, a, a, a savior a rescue from death i mean the financial times had a recently an article by a lady therapist who said this crisis exposes that there is no one in control and there is no savior and that is a consistent atheistic view. And by the way, we all tend to think we are in control. And I thought before I had cancer, I was in control because I was the chief executive. But from one day to another, 
I, ne- I had to, you know, I, I never went back to the office basically after the second diagnosis. But that that is that that is the kind of normative human path is there is no savior, there is no control, and also there is no meaning. Our friend Richard Dawkins, who's probably the best recruiting sergeant the church ever had, says all the universe says to us is it speaks of blind, pitiless indifference. Dawkins is right, and this lady, the therapist, is right. Unless, unless there is hope, unless there is hope, and the Christian hope is that somebody has defeated death and offers us a way not to bypass death, because that's the famous verse, right? Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God does not say that he will bypass the valley of the shadow of death. And it's given to humans once to die and after that, the judgment. But when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with us. And that, as I explained, makes all the difference to me. And it also means there's hope beyond the grave. I like to quote this in my book, but Eddie Izzard, the transvestite comedian, who's an interesting guy, actually. I've read several interviews with him. He said um, in a recent interview in The Guardian, when I was uh, six or seven, my mother, Eddie Izzard's mother, died of cancer. And all my life, I've longed if only someone, she or someone had come back through the clouds to tell us there's something there. So that desire for hope, that desire for a way out is extremely powerful. But it's only powerful, it's only helpful if it's true. Otherwise, it is, as Richard Dawkins says, a God delusion. So my my, my friendly request to my non-Christian friends is have an open mind. Look into it. Because what I'm offering you is eternal life. I mean, it's not nothing to do with me. I'm just the agent, right? I'm passing it on. I'm the intermediary. But if it's true, it's the most important thing in the universe. And is it true? Because I think people who are not Christians think we're asking them to believe something that's not true. That's, which is, in fact, what Richard Dawkins says. Dawkins says faith is, is believing things you don't really think are true. No, I would say I'm a Christian because I believe it is true. Now, by it, I mean the resurrection, especially. That's the sort of centerpiece, the cornerstone of, of the Christian faith, in, in my view. Yeah, I know Tim, Tim Keller says something similar. I'm not sure you, as a fellow Kellerite, um, he talks about um, that we don't, we don't follow uh, a saviour who only suffers for us, but suffers, suffers with us. Um, I've always found that uh, um, I could get a sense of that and what 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 you were what you were saying. Um, I guess sort of zooming out a little bit, a lot of sort of uh, skeptics would kind of bring out um, talk about sort of the issue itself of of uh, natural evil. Um, have you have you given much thought to? To, to that question, the, you know, the sort of problem of sort of natural evil, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic, uh, you yeah. know, natural evil at the moment. How, how, how would you sort of respond to sceptics who might bring that up? Well, clearly there is natural evil. There's also moral evil. Mm. Yeah, there's a coronavirus, but there's a mass murderer, right? Both are just mm. a different type of evil. They're two variations of the same form. So I guess the question is, well, where does evil come from? And I think the Bible says, because we live in a fallen world, if you like, evil and, and it's sort of henchmen suffering and, and death and fear, of, if you like, broken into our house by night. We're lying in bed, sleep, and suddenly we hear breaking glass and we realise, yeah, evil has sent fear, suffering and death in and, and death is going to get us. 
So where did it come from? Natural evil, same place really as moral evil comes from, which is ultimately there is there is evil in the universe. That Christians believe that evil has a has a, 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 a physical manifestation, a spiritual manifestation, if you like, which is which is a being, the devil. Um, but the devil himself is is a is, is a created being. We don't believe as Christians in manichaeism, which is a kind of God and the devil on the same level. Christian belief is that God made the whole universe and everything in it. He made these spiritual beings, angels, and one of them fell. One of them rebelled against God, and, and that's the devil. Now, why why did God allow that to happen? I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that we are responsible for our moral choices, and. Yeah, coronavirus is an external evil, but the truth is that there's evil within each one of us. And actually, it doesn't take much to bring that to the surface. I've, I've just been watching Breaking Bad. Um, have you guys seen that? Massive. Man. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, that's, I don't know if the guy who wrote it is a Christian, but he certainly has a Christian worldview because, you know, spoiler alert for those of you who are watching this, uh, Walt, who's the kind of mild-mannered chemistry teacher, his, his original sin is pride because he has cancer like me and he won't accept an offer of help. So he decides, I'm not going to take this free gift. I'm going to manufacture mm. meth. And um, boy, oh boy, does one sin lead to another. So, yeah, look, there is external evil in the world. There is cancer. Um, and why God sets things up the way he does, I, I don't know. If I knew everything about that, I'd be God, I guess, which I'm, I'm rather far from being the case. So... I don't have all the answers about where evil comes from, but I believe there is a solution to evil. I don't know the origins of evil, but I, I know how we can get rid of it, which Christians believe is through the cross, which was the most evil act in the universe, but actually rebounded on the devil and, and means that we can get back to God. So, yeah, if somebody asks me, what about evil? What about suffering? I, I take them to the cross. It was interesting you mentioned Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is one of my... It's probably my favourite TV series I've, I've watched, um, and I've watched I've watched quite a few. Um, and it's 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 interesting. Um, I actually, listen. I was listening to a few clips earlier today, and um, you know, comparing your response, you know, a, a, a Christian response to a, your your cancer di uh, cancer uh, terminal cancer diagnosis, and looking at um, Walter White. Um, I, and if, if you watched it all the way through, Jeremy? No, because I've got I've got another eight eight episode. I mean, I'm halfway through series five, so don't tell me uh, what happened. Because okay. it's um, there's there's a very poign, poignant scene um, towards the end, and I'm, I'm not going to no, go no, into detail, no, and I'm not going to ruin it for you. But um, there's, it's 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 one of my favourite scenes where he just talks about his motivations for what he did, uh, why he did it. And um, I kind of look forward to you getting to it because when you when you when you watch that scene, you'll know what I was talking about when he's okay. talking um, okay. talking with Skyler and he's talking about his mo. Uh, Skyler is Skyler. His, I can't remember his, his wife. His that's right. Yeah, and there's it's just um, and, and it's and I think for pe people listening as well, you'll see the, the the different responses there between Walter's sort of hopeless, yeah. nihilistic uh, response, uh, selfish response, um, and uh, and and yours, which are polar opposites, so it's quite interesting. So, when do you reckon you'll get through it? Uh, well, we're watching one or two episodes a night. We would be watching one now, but some two young guys wanted to interview me on a <laughs> podcast. 
Uh, I'd love to sit and rewatch that again soon. It's one of those series that I um, I love it so much that I want to watch it with someone else. I'm always at the edge of my seat, like oh, I wish I could just have to watch this bit. It's uh, it's a fantastic series. Yeah, it's good. It's, uh, yeah, highly recommend it. Um, definitely a different outlook on pain and suffering <laughs> yeah. than what we're talking about today. Um, you, um, you you mentioned a bit. Sorry, Phil. Do you, you no, take on. Okay, no. once I get on the roll. Um, you go for it. You mentioned a bit about um, some of your sort of charity work. So I'd be interested to find out a little bit more about how you got involved with Ocker, a um, great organisation, and also um, to talk a bit more about the environment as well, um, about you know why, why Christians should care about the environment. Yeah, great. You, on that. So how did I get involved with with Ocker, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, which is part of Ravi Zacharias? Uh, globally um it's quite simple actually a friend of mine john riches years ago said you'll really like this because like you daniel i like to read and i like to discuss ideas and stuff and i went along and i heard michael ramsden speaking and i think john lennox and i thought wow these guys are amazing i, I love their tagline helping the believer think and the thinker believe which mm. is great and um I, if there's one thing that i particularly love about what they do they have a fantastic thing called reboot which is aimed at young people, 12 to 18-year-old Christians and not. Because I, I really feel strongly that as Christians, we must allow teenagers, who, I'm thinking here especially of teenagers and, and students who grow up in Christian homes, to debate and argue and, and, and ask questions. Again, because we believe that there's a rational basis for it. I think often we're afraid of arguing. My father, who was a real character, he, used to, he was a pastor, he used to take us Bible smuggling every summer behind the Iron Curtain. He, he was quite strict, but this was a long time ago, right, the 60s and 70s, but you could argue about absolutely anything with him, including, you know, I don't believe in, in God, or that the Bible's full of errors, or even you're such a boring preacher. And hmm. uh, he would allow his children, his teenage children especially, to, to debate and discuss, and I think that's really important. And Reboot is amazing. You know, people like Amy or Ewing and others, um, Tanya Walker, they, they have like, you know, well over a thousand young people and, and they tackle head on all the difficult questions like, you know, is God anti-gay? Is God racist? Um, is God sexist? You know, what does the Bible say about money? And all, all these kind of hot topics. It's great. I, I absolutely love it. And it's the same principle as we believe in Christianity because it's true. Well, that means we should also be open to people arguing the cost of us. Yeah, no, I I, I know a, a fair bit about reboot. I've I've still got I've got seven years be before my oldest daughter's uh, able to go, so I'm I'm uh, I've got a little while yet. But um, no, they are they're a great organisation, and um, yeah, I love what you were saying about um, you know be, like debating and stuff with with children and stuff. I think uh, yeah, it's, it is it is important and try and make sure that they feel comfortable asking difficult questions and. Uh, something you try and facilitate as a as a parent completely agree with all that just uh something i'm very grateful for is being able to work through uh big issues and taking scripture seriously and working that through wrestling that all very important stuff um i'm dan piqued my interest when he, he was about to ask a question on the environment side of things as well so uh what's Where's that taking you? Um, yeah, just following on from what you said that you're you're interested in the environment. Why why should Christians be so interested if we're going to be taken away from 
this planet in the end. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> theology potentially, but yeah, feel free to bad, clarify that. Yeah, the Bible says that God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Everything will be remade, but in the meantime, we're like tenants of a stately home. Stourhead, for example, which is the Hall family one, beautiful gardens. And imagine that you've been put in as the tenants and the owner is going to come back. You have to look after it. You can't just crash it. And God is the owner. God is the Hall family. And I'm the estate manager, if you like. And uh, no, we, we must look after it. And creation is, is, is good and, and humans are, are wrecking it. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess, you know, like a lot of things in life, I, my father, as I mentioned, was quite eccentric. He was very interested in the environment as well as Bible smuggling. He used to do like guerrilla environmental activity on the motorways. This was a long time ago. Probably the police were not as strict, but he used to stop and plant trees and bulbs and stuff on, on the M25 and on the motorway. <laughs> one, time, one time his car was parked on the side of the motorway and one of the people in his church was driving by and they recognised his car and they thought, oh dear, um, John's broken down so they, they pulled him front they couldn't see him and then they could see him bending over right at the top of the bank old oh, Crumbs is being sick or something so you're right he said oh don't worry I'm just planting daffodils so, yeah. and then at, at university uh, as God would, would arrange my roommate was a wonderful guy called Chris Naylor who was for many years the um, head of Arosha and uh, which is a fantastic Christian environmental organisation it's Portuguese for the rock and uh, we went out several times to see Chris and, and his family, his wife, Susanna, and their three children, Sam, Chloe, and Josh, in, in Lebanon. They spent 15 years there, and, and Chris and, and his team turned up, you know, basically a kind of environmental disaster area, marsh, um, into a beautiful, flourishing wetland. Now, tragically, and again, this is the same thing as to why this happened, I don't know. Last October, Chris and Susanna were on a a field trip in South Africa with another couple, Peter and Miranda Harris. Peter and Miranda founded Arosha and handed over to Chris and Susanna, and they had a car accident. And Chris and Susanna and, and Miranda were killed instantly, leaving their three children, who obviously I'm, I'm, I'm very friendly with. And um, I went to the memorial service and, and, and also to the crematorium. And that's really hard. That's really hard. So, yeah, even, even more so, I would say, because of Chris. And Susanna's amazing example. Um, yeah, I'm even more interested in the environment now. And the organisation I, I got involved in was the Woodland Trust. So I, I just love trees. My children always laugh when we watch Lord of the Rings. The Ents say, Nobody loves the trees. And they all say, Dad does. So, yeah. well, they call me, call me a tree hugger. I don't know why. I just think there's something amazingly beautiful mm. about trees. So, yeah, for years I was a trustee of the Woodland Trust. It's an amazing organisation. And the wonderful thing about trees is you just need tiny acorns, right? You take a barren field, you take a group of school children, you let them loose, you know, with maybe little saplings, tiny things. Some of the children put them in the wrong way up. You have to show them how to do that. You come back 10, 15 years later, it's a forest, a mighty forest is growing. They're absolutely stunningly beautiful things, trees. And I think Christians should love trees in particular the bible is full of references to trees yeah, yeah. it's um yeah it's interesting because I, I i'll be honest sort of trees and environmentalism were probably locked away uh in, in the box in my brain where i don't really care about stuff too much for quite a while and um it's only recently i've started to think about the the 
should a Christian view the environment and, and the earth differently? You know, should there be a difference between, you know, should Christians kind of be on the forefront of this kind of thing? And I, I think um, I was thinking about it recently is we, we tend to, um, because most of the people I know who really care about an environment tend to be sort of vegan environmentalists who chain themselves to trees. You kind of see that as like, well, that's kind of the only option. But there's there's definitely, you know, a case to be made for a sort of rational environmentalism where, like you said, we, we plant trees. We, you know, we don't recklessly destroy nature. You know, we're a little bit more sensible with how we shop and, and making sure we recycle. And uh, maybe I'll get more extreme, but definitely in the moment, I'm definitely much more conscious of the... Um, the impact that my lifestyle and, and my family's lifestyle can have on the environment and that I should care about an environment because that's what that God has gifted us the earth to live on and we should treat it well. I think I think that's right. Jen. I think another thing is what, what business are Christians in? We're in the hope business, right? Mm. We're in the hope business, not the hopeless business. So one of the, I think the challenges with with climate change is to give people hope. And, yeah, because we can feel dwarfed by the vast scale of the, the project. I mean, a guy called Dave Bookless, who was also at university with Chris and I, has written a very good book called Planet Wise, which is for Christians on how to care for the planet. But the particular thing I, I, I would recommend to Christians is go and plant trees. Yeah, if you yeah. care about the future, if you believe in, in that, that God will one day redeem everything, plant some trees. There'll be trees in heaven. So uh, get out there and join the Woodland Trust and Arosha and start planting is my message. Yeah, but I think a danger on both the sharing our face side and the environment side is we just give up. We, we, we're defeatist. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is a good, this is one of my favourite historic, I did, I did history at university. This is one of my favourite historical quotes, which I think can apply to the church and to the environment. In the 1914, the German army was about to defeat the French army. There was also a tiny British expeditionary force of four divisions, which was you know, a peanut. Um, and there were 110 German divisions, and they were getting very, very near to Paris. So near that the French government ordered all the files to be burnt in, in, in the French capital. Paris was covered with thick black smoke. And it looked like you could hear the German artillery. They crossed the Marne, which is the last river before Paris. Now, a French general called Marshal Foch, who's got a fantastic statue at Victoria, he rallied his troops and he drove them back, the so-called miracle on the Marne. And after that, there was trench warfare anyway. But Foch said this. He said, my left wing gives way. My centre is non-existent. Position excellent. I attack. And that's what Christians should be like. We should realise, yeah, we're in a world where everything's giving way, even more so, coronavirus. But we have hope that we should attack. Now, that doesn't mean that we literally attack our enemies, right? We should love them, but we should we should go on the front foot. We should be on the offensive. We shouldn't give up. We shouldn't be defeated. Never. Well, you'd be very pleased, Jeremy. I've got a, a lovely big eucalyptus tree that I planted last summer. Uh, some bamboo, a couple of palm trees. So uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to do my bit, and my daughter's planted a uh, a tree as well. So. Yeah, which kind of tree? Horse chestnut. Okay, that's good. All, all of those, by the way, are not native species, but that's okay. Even the horse, horse chestnut was introduced by the Romans, but that's okay. <laughs> we, forgive, we forgive you, brother. I, I give you an indulgence. <laughs> I just love the look of a eucalyptus tree. I, I just, I just love them. 
So I was just, uh, yeah, it's, it, they grow up to they grow up to um, the right conditions about six foot a year. So uh, yeah, they're amazing. Just don't plant them too near your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've planted as far back as I can, but I, I I've seen how big they grow, so I, yeah. I might have to get it get it chopped, locked, uh, maybe in a, a couple of years. Stop it. See, an acorn in an oak is really an image of the Christian faith, because if we plant mm. an acorn, we're never going to see. Um, the, the, the full-grown oak, because oaks take hundreds of years. Oaks can live for a 1,000 years, 300 growing, 300 mature, 300 dying. And by the way, they're the most productive in the last 300 years. So there are trees in England that were alive when William the Conqueror landed. Isn't that amazing? But that's the same thing in the Christian faith. What are we doing with planting seed? We're planting acorns. And people did that. You know, the early church planted it, and one, one acorn produced a tree and another, and so on and so on, until... Eventually, the acorn came to us. So we we must have hope, not just sharing our faith with our, our non-Christian friends, which we must do, but the hope for the future. We're on the winning side. Yeah. So I, I think for the church in the UK, we often feel defeated and troubled. And there are there are problems and troubles. I'm not saying we should speak kind of everything's wonderful, because it's clearly not. In many ways, the church has been in retreat in England for 200 years. But ultimately, God will win. The devil will be defeated. And sin and evil and death will be made away with. So we, we have this wonderful hope. And at dark times like this, we must, we must encourage each other with that hope. I think that's one of the main things that I've come to hold really dear in my own faith is that understanding of what we are looking forward to. So I mean, the, the, the joke about being taken away from this earth is, is, was a joke. The, the new creation hope that we have is is incredible and i think when it comes to suffering and um looking at things like the coronavirus the fact that everything else in this time that we pinned our hopes and dreams on finance job in some ways family uh church <laughs> that the actual like social aspects of it that we think might save us the routine all these things that we pin everything on have just sort of evaporated before us <laughs> and we have to kind of try and grab things back and uh, that hope of one day these things that are like smoke will actually be made new and will be sustained forever in the way that they were intended to be as well as our bodies that are currently sick and, and corrupt and our thoughts is also in that way we have this amazing hope that yeah, everything will be made new. That I mean, that's that's something that's so powerful beyond uh, a anything atheism can offer or any other faith can offer. And from what I've looked at, um, so I, I think that's really potent. I, I wonder if that's part of the issue of the church being a retreat is because half the church think we're going away from the world, <laughs> like we're going into some ethereal heaven with harps and babies. I mean, I, I don't know if you've found that in your your circles. Do people get the idea of heaven or what that is? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I think neither Christians nor non non Christians have have an idea. I mean, yeah, as you said, we all have this idea of sort of people have a mental image of heaven. It's fluffy clouds and people in white bedsheets playing harps, but that's not in the Bible. No, no he heaven is basically about the presence of God. God will dwell with His people. No more suffering. And it will be amazing. Yeah. And, and, and it's something incredible and, and a new heaven and a new earth. As I think 
Sam says in Lord of the Rings that everything that's gone wrong is being undone. So everything that's wrong and evil and suffering will be will be will be undone. On the other hand, in hell is just the opposite of that, which is not devils with pitchforks, which again is not an image in the Bible. It's the absence of God. And it's also it is solemn, God's silence. God's silence. That's the that's the most solemn thing. When Jesus is on trial, he has nothing to say to Herod. Not a word. And that is solemn. But the good news is that this isn't with fortunately most of us not in the position of Herod, who had obviously you know, done done many terrible things, and 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 although I would believe even Herod was not completely beyond God's God's mercy, but yeah, God God still speaks, and He speaks words of invitation and, and words to come to Him. So yeah, actually, the Bible has has relatively little to say about heaven, probably because I think it's too mind blowing. I always love that C.S. Lewis quote where he says, "Heaven is like trying to explain to two urchins playing in the slums what a two week holiday by the seaside would be like." It's just, yeah. imagine it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. All right, Dan, have you got any other questions? We've been going on for 45 minutes, and I don't want to spend too yeah. much of your time, Jeremy. I appreciate what you're, you're spending time with us. Uh, I guess um, I wouldn't mind. I'm sure other people listening might find it helpful as well, given uh, uh, you've already admitted to being a bibliophile before we uh, we came on. Um, what, what sort of other than your own book, which I, I will be getting a copy of, uh, I recommend that others others uh, do as well. We can we can make sure we'll um, put a link somewhere for for, for people to access that. Yeah. What what sort of what five books would you do you, do you think uh, that all Christians should read, other than the Bible? Because I know someone will someone okay. smart will say, "What about the Bible?" Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it's more than yeah, just one book. Okay. Well, in no particular order, then, Dan. Uh, how much time have we got? Do you want me to do uh, a quick we've, fire? We, we've got time. It's, it's more just awareness of your time, really. So, yeah. So, I would say a, it's always good to start with a couple of classics, right? I'll, I'll give two older ones and three modern ones. So, one older one, I would say, is a book by a man called Thomas Boston called The Crook in the Lock. Boston was an 18th century Scottish divine who had a really, really hard life. He knew a lot about suffering. And the crook in the lot is nothing to do with crime in parking. It's about <laughs> Ecclesiastes, which is who can make straight what God has made crooked. So Boston's thesis, which he demonstrates very ably, and it's not a long book, unlike many of the Puritan ones, is that God puts something bent, something wrong, in our life and he does it for a purpose to teach us about himself and also to teach us humility so i found that a great book really helpful and it's, it's not very long and it's, it's very readable in coming forward a hundred years i can't i can't pass over what's probably in my view one of the greatest christian authors of all time jc ryle the first bishop of liverpool and ryle was just a fantastic writer and if i had to pick one of his books it it's his expository thoughts on the Gospels. So that they're, they're you know, multi-volumes covering all four Gospels, but they are so helpful and so powerful. And Ryle writes in a really personal, warm, direct way. It's almost like he's kind of pointing his finger at you. And if, yeah, where as Christians must we take our stand? We must take it on the Gospels, right? The Lord Jesus. And how can we know the Gospels better? J.C. Ryle's the man. Okay, now, yeah, now three... Three modern books. I, I think one challenge we've got 
in the church is that we just don't understand what the Bible's about. We don't understand, if I may say, God's big picture. So that's one of the title of a book by a friend of mine, Vaughan Roberts, who's a vicar at St. Ebbs in Oxford. And it's a great book, and again, not very long, um, which just does what it says on the tin. It explains what the Bible is about. The, the arc, as theologians like to say, is God's story from A to Z and the bits in between. And I think as Christians, we often miss that and kind of end up confused about well, what's what's the Bible all about. Um, I've got to recommend one book by Keller. I, I guess there's so many. Probably The Prodigal God, I think, is his best. Or the, the Reason for God as well a lot. They're all good. But The Prodigal God is just a fantastic way of basically telling the, the, the gospel story. And I, I find it such a go-to story. I mean, basically, in a lot of my apologetics, I just rehash Keller. I don't suppose you mind. <laughs> I don't, don't plagiarise him directly. But, yeah, I just try and read his books and rehash them, basically. Mm. So that, that Prodigal God is, a, is an absolutely fantastic book. Amazing. Um, I guess maybe I should include a biography as well. Um, and uh, an amazing man of God who died actually 40 years ago and on my blog, which I'm sure all your readers will pause to after this, which is J.S.J. Marshall Blogspot. I, I just need I, to I, uh, I, just cut, cut in a little bit there with uh, just to bring in your expectations for our author <laughs> of viewership at the moment. <laughs> I have an idea clip of like tens of thousands of people. <laughs> lucky I mean, ten. I'm quite happy for you to plug your book and your blog spot, but I don't think you'll see much traffic at this point. <laughs> the vision of your... Um, you know, your podcast, your video cast, Philip, like, you know, the number one probably today will be Elon Musk's baby with a strange name and you'll be that's number right. two. That's my vision. Is that that's, your what, vision? that's what you told me before your audience was like. Sorry. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I thought anyway, by the end yeah. of the interview, I could actually be honest with you. <laughs> we'll get you back. We'll get you back as, as things work out and, uh, and, and the uh, audience grows. We'll have Once to you get you back. Double. Once you reach double figures, yeah, in a couple of years. (laughs) Let me finish my book recommendation. So, yeah, Yeah. there's an amazing man of God who um, actually as a boy I I, I met several times. He came to our house called Martin Lloyd-Jones. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's a Welsh preacher, an amazing man. And I think it's always good to have a Christian biography. And um, Ian Murray, who's still alive, he was the founder of the Banner of Truth. He's written a a very large two-volume one. But there's also a smaller one, which is very readable. And I think Lloyd-Jones speaks powerfully to today. His, his preaching was called Logic on Fire. And that's a good good way to think of it. Um, and, um, yeah, that, so those are my five. Thomas Boston, Crook in the Lot. J.C. Ryle, Expository Thoughts on the Gospel. Vaughan Roberts, God's Big Picture. Tim Keller, Prodigal God. And Ian Murray, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And, and please buy them all from ten of those. Otherwise, Jonathan Carswell will shoot me. Uh, he's, <laughs> yeah, we, he, he's, he's right we shouldn't support amazon we should yeah. uh, just support christian show. there are other ones as well but anyway I, I think the world of jonathan and his dad so go to ten of those.com yeah that's a good shout uh, i recommend that i'll put links to ten of those in the description rather than amazon links so happy with that yeah there's there's tim keller books I and mean, i actually i thought a lot of um of making sense of god his uh, one of his more recent books and it's really interesting how the reason for God, which I I really liked, and that was published two thousand eight, and um, how dated the reason for God is, 
compared to making sense of God. It's really interesting, sort of yeah, 10 okay. years after that was published, how the questions that people have have dramatically changed. Yeah. Like, if you read the reason for God, there's nothing about identity and, and uh, you know, less stuff about meaning and things like that. And, um, and that's become much more prominent in that sort of 10 years, 10 yeah. to 12 years afterwards. And the reason for God is, um, I, I thought it was a, a great book that I tend to recommend um, to... By the way, another very good book, uh, I'll give you a sixth, is Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. I've read that, uh, yeah, last year. It's excellent. I've heard good things. I've, I need to get that on my reading list. It, it is... Um, it is, yeah, it's it's good. Um, I still, it still had, it had an American feel to it. I don't know, is she, is she American? No, she's a Brit actually, but she lives. But in she's America. in America. Mm, but I you can't, you know, poor Americans, right? I've got an American son, American son-in-law. It's not their fault, you know. No. <laughs> but it, it's interesting. So when you when you read the um, and you read sort of um, American Christian books, like apologetics, the the, que the questions are not that. We're not. We're not always asking the same questions. There's definitely. Um, there's definitely overlap. But I definitely got the sense. You know, when I was reading some of the questions, I was thinking, I've, I've, you know, no one I speak to asked those, those, yeah. some of those questions. But uh, yeah, for what it did, it was an excellent book. I, I really, really liked it, and and one I would uh, like you would def definitely recommend people read. Um, I definitely find that with the conversation that you see, even on the UK apologetics and evangelism channel you can see the teachers that people engage with uh and then also their outlook on culture and society and there are some really heavy american influences in mm. british christianity but often the the cultural differences are more subtle and yeah i've definitely witnessed that in the way people talk about faith you you go oh, like that's that's very very American, not necessarily that it's bad, but it just doesn't translate. We're not dealing with Trump in the same way that they are. We're not dealing with coronavirus in the same way they are. Uh, we're, we're not worried about guns in the same way they are. And, and it, it, all those big American issues seem to yeah, travel true. over the Atlantic. And, um, Which is what the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics is so good because, yeah. you know, the people there are well they're not just brits but they're not particularly americans and um yeah you know we need to adjust our apologetics to the cultural context we're in uh Ocker also and, and asim international also has people all over the world with people in eastern europe in western europe in africa middle east asia the lot so yeah really good organization they've been publishing some really good books as well my friend joe works for uh, the good book company and um Ocker have been publishing books from them so obviously John Lennox has recently brought out that short yeah. short book on coronavirus um, and uh, there's a number of books published by people from Ocker um, via them that are, that are excellent again really really good books so, I, think, yeah. I think that plays a big part of, of why they are so good is that they've got such a wide um, base of thought that isn't just one culture um, I, I think that is a quality in them that I, is often missed from very West um, American apologetics. Yeah, um, I find when you go on the yeah. internet, half the problems with Christianity, the problems in quotation marks that people have, are cultural. Are mm. reading an American or, or even English, I mean, English people do this as well, an English understanding of the world 
into the text and going, well, that doesn't make sense. Therefore, it's false. Um, and Okra are very good at drawing those out. I noticed that Abdul Murray and Ravi Zacharias are releasing a book uh, which is talking about shame and honor, but also how that links into the West. Yeah, so that's I think right. Something with uh, Jesus from the East or something like that. But, yeah, Jesus um, through Eastern eyes, I think that's it. Yeah, that's or something right. like that. Yeah. yeah, so there's some really important things. I think that conversation needs to be had more. And I saw a clip from Abdi Murray on how shame is influencing Western culture now, and the shame culture, the cancel culture, the I'm offended by you, therefore you can't speak to me. Um, or I'm offended by your ideology, therefore I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> it's not, I'm going to talk it through. So, uh, it, yeah, I think even from making sense of God, the the, sh the shift in culture is changing as well and we'll, we'll be interested to see where apologetics and evangelism comes in to play uh, it, few... it's also why we must stand up for freedom of speech mm. it's very very yeah. important including the British Humanist Association Richard Dawkins mm -hmm. we should be absolutely four square with them yeah yeah they, well, they have every, you, yeah. every right can I ask one more, yeah. one more question oh, yeah, so um, obviously what, what's very different about the US is they, they have, um, you know, you almost have in a sense sort of Christian celebrities in a sense like that the Christians have still much, much more of a, uh, an impact on culture than, than we do. It's not always positive, often negative, but um, over here we don't, we don't have that. If you were sort of speaking to Christians, who, who should Christians in this country be listening to, do you think? Who, what sort of Christian thinkers... Uh, maybe not not just people, you know, people at Ocker as well, but other sort of Christian leaders or thinkers. Who who we do you think we we should be listening to? What alive or dead? Yeah, alive. No, I'm talking today. You know, who who is there? You know, in my in my head, I'm thinking. You know, personally, one person I love the people who read and and uh, listened to a lot more was someone like Andrew Wilson. I'm not sure if you know. Yeah, think think theology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm thought, I'm sort of thinking of someone. You know, yeah. someone that maybe doesn't have the, the largest following that maybe we should okay. be listening well, I'll tell to. You, yeah, some people we should either read or listen to. Ian Paul, I'm, I'm not even sure how to pronounce the name of his um, website, Sep Heiser or something like that. Yeah, that's he, very good. Rec oh, I've been engaging that recently. He's, yeah, he's fantastic. Really good. I've heard of him. He's written a really good uh, commentary on Revelation that I'm working through at the moment, okay. alongside a couple of others. Yeah, yeah. And Ian is one of these people who just churns out a constant stream of ideas. A guy who's fantastic, who's a real character, who's got both a blog and a podcast, is Steve Neal, K-N-E-L-E. Have you heard of him, Building no. Jerusalem? No. Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's, he's a friend of mine, right? This is what you call log rolling, where you recommend your friends. <laughs> please, please do, this is helpful. He's a pastor in Oldham. And uh, he's very, very strong on churches in deprived places, as is Mez McConnell. Yeah, yeah, I know um, And um, then another guy who I think is, is really influential, I, I think he's a real man for our times, is John Stevens, who's the head of the FIEC. He's got a blog called johnstevens.com. And, yeah, John's a big man in every sense of the world. He's one of the few people I have to look up to. He's about six foot seven. And um, he, 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 every day he's tweeting, publishing ideas. He thinks very deeply. He's very interested in kind of culture and other things. So, yeah, those are Ian Paul, Steve Neal and um, John Stevens. We should probably, we should probably, 
I feel bad I haven't got a woman blogger or podcaster to recommend. Well, Glenn Scrivener, I guess. Well, he's a guy. He's very good. <laughs> I'll link him to that timestamp. That's brilliant. I think yeah. that's brilliant. Well, I, I did. Uh, I did. Re- you did recommend the book by. I've got three sisters, so I can just imagine them watching this and giving me a hard time. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, there's, oh, there, there's lots of good uh, women apologists with Ocker. Yeah, Amy or Ewing. Amy or Ewing's got a fantastic book, uh, Can We Trust the Bible, which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And Tanya Ford. Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. You bailed me out there. No worries. We'll have to get one of them on on, on this fledgling Dude, YouTube channel soon. Please, any any for for the right fee, I can get you anybody you like. Yeah, no, we've, we, you're our contact now, Jeremy, because you're yeah. you're the first person we've interviewed. Wow, you, okay. uh, so we, we we've not done this before. We're uh, we're just sort of. Yeah, no. Tell me, I'd be happy to recommend it. But yeah, thanks yeah, no, for that. having me. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, it's, it's a it's a real real pleasure, real pleasure, and uh, it's always nice to put a face to the, the name we see on the UK Apologetics Facebook group. So. Cool. All right. I really appreciate your time, Jeremy, and uh, we'll sign off here. And yeah, we'll be in touch for those names. <laughs> and let me know when you get when your circulation gets to ten. Right, we'll have a party. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Sounds good. See you. Bye. Cool. Cheers, Take Jeremy. Care, see you later. Bye bye. So uh, thanks to Jeremy. We're still live, Dan, so don't pick your nose. And um, oh. we'll uh, sign off there. I mean, I think for a first first interview, that was pretty positive. And, yeah, uh, really that's nice interesting. To, Jeremy's a good guy. Um, yeah, nice to chat to him. So um, I'll, uh, yeah, sign off, I guess. We don't have a tagline yet. Critical witness. We'll uh, think of something to go alongside that. But um, we'll sign off and stop the stream and... If you're watching this at some point, feel free to give us a comment, like the video, subscribe to the channel. We'd like to get to someone. Yeah, maybe share it with someone if you've enjoyed it. If you haven't enjoyed it, well, keep your comments to yourself. Um, If you have any recommendations for God and suffering book-wise, please stick them in the comments as well. And um, yeah, give us feedback if you like. We'll, We'll take it on board potentially <laughs> if you feel so inclined cool well, this is laugh uh cheers dan good to chat we'll catch up soon stop the stream are you not thank you for listening to the critical witness podcast if you enjoyed what you heard then please like, subscribe, share. We're on all your major social media, apart from Instagram at the moment. But please do get in touch. We'd like to hear what you thought. And if you'd like to support the show, find us on patreon.com 